What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. It is the New Year's preview 2022 starting in a couple hours, probably 2022 in some places around the world. Um, I, so I made us a PowerPoint, 57 slides, want to go through everything happening in the HyperChange universe, Tesla, SpaceX, crypto. Uh, we're going to talk about the global macro uh, situation, what I think about markets, inflation, TikTok passing, Google is the most uh, number one website in the country or in the world. Just so much to cover heading into the new year. Kind of wanted to, to take a, uh, a set back like a step back and just look at what happened and then tell you my predictions so let's just get into it if you can hear me i'm going to open up the powerpoint and we're just going to start walking through it and then at the end of each section ooh, john happy new year thanks for the super chat um also sh yeah shout out to the patreons who have been supporting as well i sent a, a newsletter version of this to my patreons and i'm going to probably send the full deck to patreons as well because uh, there's a bunch of data. So let's start it off. Um, let me see if y'all can see this. All right. You should be able to see me, right? And I do have your comments on. Um, so if you have any questions, just shoot them over. This is the 2022 preview. Obviously, we're starting with Tesla. And I wanted to put in the corner, you'll notice up there is the market cap number. Um, 1.1 trillion. This is the market value of Tesla. Just to put in context the assets we're looking at and what's going on here. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome. Woo! Okay. Tesla changing the world. Are we in the roaring 20s or not? Tesla, by my estimates, is on track to deliver about 910,000 vehicles this year. This is up 80% increase despite the global economy sort of falling apart with this pandemic. Many other automakers shrinking or staying flat because of the chip shortages. Tesla's poised to grow 90 or 80 80 to 5, 90% this year to about 910,000 vehicle deliveries. I've broken them out by model here. Um, and now let's talk about what I'm looking for in 2022. This is just the high level here, about 1.4 million deliveries. Tesla's officially getting into big boy territory here of going from, you know, a couple hundred thousand cars, 10,000, 20,000 cars, niche automaker to millions. We're talking VW, Toyota. These are the numbers that some of the largest automotive companies in the world have. Tesla's poised to hit 1.4 million cars delivered next year. Let's even jump ahead to 2023 just for fun. I think we're looking at about almost 1.9 to 2 million vehicles delivered in 2023. So right now we're in this incredible ramp moment of Tesla going from 1 million to I think 10 million vehicles sold over the next years. So this is going to be super duper exciting stuff. This is just a high level, but a lot of this depends on the scale up of the new factories. How fast do they ramp? How fast can they secure battery supply? So it's going to be an interesting year to see how that plays out in the balance. Now let's break this down by factory. Actually, got ahead of myself. Ooh, I see your comment, John, about getting Alex Heath back on the show. That's a great one, but I don't want to get sidetracked now. So uh, we'll talk about AR and VR at the end. Don't let me forget about that. But this is just one more chart that I wanted to put uh, in context. The hyperchange problem here. Why is Tesla worth $1.1 Why are they worth more than every other automaker combined? Because right now, only 2% of vehicles sold are electric. Tesla's not competing with Rivian. They're not competing with other electric car companies. They're competing with the gas car, the internal combustion engine. And as you can see, there's still 98% market share for the internal combustion engine. So we have a huge way to go to actually disrupt all of this. And that's why I think Tesla's growth is still in its infancy here. Um, but that's just my estimate. And this is, I thought, another cool chart because when we started with Tesla, you know, the, the scale of one company truly transitioning the whole automotive industry was pretty far-fetched and ridiculous. And Tesla was so far away from making a meaningful difference in the actual amount of vehicles sold. And so if you look at this, 
We're seeing the vehicles sold here. Tesla's hitting almost 2% in the US and Canada, over 1% in other regions. Literally in every region around the world, Tesla's actually starting to move the needle in terms of replacing gas cars sold. So we are literally witnessing this incredible moment before our eyes of Tesla transitioning the automotive industry over, everybody following. But in, I know all of us, it's as clear as day and we can see this future, but to most people, it's not. And there's still 98% of the market that hasn't transitioned. So now let's talk about the factories and what's going on each one. So we've got Gigafactory Shanghai, this is Tesla's now biggest factory. It's surpassed Fremont, essentially, in production output in just two years from a pile of mud to the state-of-the-art facility. This is a culmination of why the market has given Tesla a $1 trillion valuation. They're like, wow, if they can do this in Shanghai, imagine if they get better at building factories and do this in Berlin and Austin. That's exactly what they're doing. But Shanghai, um, they're ramping up Model Y here like crazy. They are exporting vehicles here. This has become a global export hub for Tesla. I think the most interesting thing happening here that is sort of my hot take under the radar is Tesla. Tesla's working on the Model 2, a compact vehicle that is a $25,000 car. I think it's going to be built out of this factory first. The rumors are they're already kind of starting and working on that product. And so, and the expansion's underway. So huge expansion going on at Gigafactory Shanghai. But the biggest news I'm expecting out of this is, yeah, okay, we're growing Model 3, we're growing Model Y, that's all great. But what is up with this $25,000 compact car? They've been super, super duper quiet about it. And I think a lot of it is because it's not actually a compact car. It's not a vehicle like we expect it to be. It's actually a robo-taxi. It's going to be a totally different type of product than we're used to, and that's why Tesla's being super quiet about it. Now let's talk about Berlin. This is from the factory day. I was there that day. Um, Gigafactory Berlin, I mean, this is incredible to see how fast Tesla's put this up. Um, they're working through the permitting process. When I was there about a month or two ago, they said deliveries were going to start before the end of the year. I don't think they've started yet, but Tesla's building this already and starting vehicle deliveries. So the, or, or I, on, on the cusp, literally two factories right now, Austin and Berlin, like just on the cusp of starting, and it's going to be a slow, gradual ramp. It's going to take time to ramp up the factory. My biggest question is, are the 4680s, cells being used in these first cars. I still think we don't exactly know, um, but this factory is going to get off the ground this year. Giga Berlin, super exciting, 500,000 year production capacity, but it'll take about a year or two to get there. Texas, this is the crown jewel of Tesla. When I was just in Texas and Austin, it's hard to, to put into uh, like justify on a YouTube video and a live stream how big of a moment this is. Tesla's recreating manufacturing in America with this with this factory. It is the biggest Tesla factory by square footage. It's going to be the biggest factory in the world when it's complete. It's going to make Austin the biggest new boomtown in America or potentially the world. And it's going to have a capacity of at least 500,000 cars, probably a million cars a year coming out of this facility with not just vehicle production, but battery production, an R&D hub. I mean, when you talk about Tesla, why is Tesla valued a trillion dollars? because they can deploy $10 billion and extremely high ROI to pump out a huge amount of products to generate, you know, hundreds of billions in revenue and really move the needle. And you're looking at that ROI. You're looking at that potential when you see this factory here, just the scope of this. And so, um, I don't know. I, I'm personally super excited about this. And I personally think everybody who's a Tesla investor, if you have the chance to go to Austin and just feel what it's like on the ground in Austin, feel the energy, feel how Tesla's on, poised to just change this, this city. It's just so, so exciting. Um, and I think uh, it, it's just the culmination of what Tesla's learned for 10 years in the business is all going into this factory. It's going to be so state-of-the-art. It's going to be so cutting edge. I think this factory alone has like a hundred billion market cap or more in terms of earnings potential. Actually, good point, Marty. There is actually a uh, 
A rumor that Tesla's on the cusp of starting production here on this factory is already building test vehicles and same with Germany. Like they're already building the cars, just the regulations, just the ramp up. And trust me when I say Q1 is going to be very, very slow. It's going to take a while for Tesla to ramp these up, uh, but this is the phase we're at. Cybertruck. By the end of the year, this is my prediction, by the end of the year, these factories are booming. You know, by the end of the year, production solved. Maybe it's not at the level we want, but they, they're going to have a path to have it at the level we want. So this is but this is why this is such a transformative year for Tesla. We're getting to the financials in a second. First, the Cybertruck, though. This is what's coming out of this Texas facility. This is the most important innovation from a product perspective that Tesla's had. You know, Tesla's vehicle lineup, almost since the Roadster, has been pretty linear and, and, and similar. We've got Roadster, Model S, Model X, Model Y, Model 3. Like, they all kind of look the same. They're all very similar. They all have this Tesla curvature design. Um, Tesla is radically departing from all of that with this product. I think this is the most interesting thing Tesla's doing and probably the entire world is doing product-wise in 2022. This is the it tech product of 2022. The amount of free press Tesla will get, the amount of YouTube videos that will come out, the amount of headlines, the amount of viral videos of people seeing this on the road, this is going to capture the cultural zeitgeist of tech and the world in 2022 from a product perspective. It's the Tesla Cybertruck. Now the question is, does it sell 100,000 year or a million a year, like the Ford F-150. My kind of hot take is the Cybertruck will have a huge pent-up demand. It has a one to two million order backlog already without even seeing this vehicle on the road. But my prediction is that actually in the long run, it doesn't do as well as the Ford F-150. The Ford F-150 is a symbol of this sort of gas guzzling, like flexing culture that I think is dying. Um, you know, roll coal, all of that stuff. Like, I think that's going away. There's a big tax credit. That's a reason why pickup sales in the US are such a big deal and all around the world, they're not. So I actually... Even though this has 2 million pre-orders, do I think this can sell a million a year and be as big as the F-150? Maybe not. Um, so that'll be interesting. I think it's going to be more two, three, four hundred thousand unit a year, uh, your product, but I cannot wait to see these on the road. Just from a Tesla nerd perspective, like this is the most exciting thing. Okay. But what about the Cybertruck is so exciting? Not just its brutalist design, not just, not just its looks. But this 4680 cell, what's inside the Cybertruck? And that's why when the Cybertruck unveil happened, I was like, this isn't dope. It doesn't matter what's on stage. It matters what's inside what's on stage, which is this new battery pack. Because we're pushing the limits of functionality to tow stuff, to, to have the torque, to have a, a full payload on a pickup truck is pushing the limits of the electric powertrain technology. And Tesla commercializing this new battery cell um, is sort of the last puzzle piece in creating a really functional electric pickup truck. And this is to me what happens, and I want to make a whole video on this about when Tesla disrupts itself. Right now, Tesla does not have a structural battery pack. They do not have a 4680 cell. They do not have a tablet design implemented. They have yesterday's technology. Everybody else has yesterday's technology. So Tesla's on the cusp of disrupting itself and almost everything on the business model, in my opinion, hinges on commercializing this cell. My inside scoop telling me a couple months ago, they've already figured out how to produce this. This is already going into mega packs. They already have working cells. It's not about building a cell that works. It's about building the machine that can pump out the cell getting that to a place where they know and are confident in the investment that it will take to get production up and running so they can buy these machines and put them in Shanghai, put them in Berlin, put them in Austin. And so that's what's going on right now. But my, my theory is they have figured this out. They're working on scaling it. This is the year that Tesla sells its first car with the 4680 cell and disrupts itself. And that's going to be a huge, huge milestone. But if that doesn't happen, I think we're in trouble with growth. But even bigger than the 4680 cell 
is this structural pack that this enables. So this is a picture from Gigafactory Berlin where we saw history being made because we saw this cut open thing and Tesla displaying this cutting edge technology of the structural battery pack. This means the battery pack is not dead weight at the bottom of the car. It's actually adding to the structure of the vehicle. So this to me is the biggest platform leap in Tesla's uh, engineering and manufacturing hardware technology ever since they've created the company. This will allow uh, with less raw materials, with less cost, to have more range, to have more reliability, um, to have a simpler system. So this is the holy grail of EV technology. This is the, the skateboard platform that has to be developed for Tesla to hit the $25,000 car. So I'm so excited for this to come into Tesla because Tesla's already at $55 billion in revenue. They're already pumping out $10 billion a year in earnings. And that's with yesterday's technology. When they have this technology, imagine the specs. Imagine the cost. This is going to be a game changer. And imagine the competition. If you can't compete with Tesla on specs today, how are you going to compete on Tesla when they haven't even when they bring out their next technology? Like this to me is so, so exciting. It doesn't matter if you're buying a Tesla because you'll never see this. It, you won't feel the difference. Maybe it'll drive a little better, actually. But this behind the scenes is this is the battery pack that's in the new Model Y. It's in the new Cybertruck. It's in the Tesla Semi. To me, this is more important to scale than FSD development. Or I think this will be what keeps Tesla at a trillion plus in 2022 versus FSD. I think FSD might be a letdown. I'm going to get to that in a second, though. Full self-driving. I need to make another full self-driving video. So if you've noticed about Tesla's FSD technology, um. Okay, so I got it. I was super hyped. I was driving it all the time, and now I'm driving it less. I got to be honest, I almost never use the FSD technology. Like, as a customer, it's a beta software. Who's going to run beta software on their stuff that they're using every day? Not many people. But do I actually use this? Is it a functional, like, it's functional, but am I getting value from this technology? I don't know. I, I got to be honest, like FSD isn't reliable enough to make it worthwhile. It's a cool party trick. It's fun to use. They're making, but the, the pace of development on FSD hasn't been where I wanted. Like I've had full self-driving on my car for a year. Um, I still don't really ever use it. Um, I may, I use auto park all the time. I use it when it's on a super reliable road for fun, but what'll normally happen is I'll put uh, Tesla in full self-driving mode. And then two minutes later, I disengage because it does a phantom braking or it takes a wrong turn. And I'm like, okay, I'm done babysitting it. I'll just drive. First of all, Tesla's also like the funnest car to drive ever. So that's something too. But, um, I don't know. I gotta be honest. I do think Elon Musk said, uh, I think he, Elon Musk is walking back claims of Tesla's um, FSD software. Like, you know, he always says next year, it's going to be ready. We're going to hit level four next year. It's going to be two to three times safer than a human. But I thought it used to be 10 times safer than a human. So if you ask me, I think, uh, Tesla, the, the FSD problem is more difficult than we thought it was. It's taking a long time and it will not get solved next year. It will not get solved in 2023. Um, right now, the earliest you could expect robo taxi revenue to occur would be 2024. And the interesting part is Tesla's, this isn't just me. Tesla stopped raising the prices on FSD. They were consistently raising the prices. They've stopped because I think actions speak louder than words. The value can't justify more than a $10,000 purchase yet. And they don't want to uh, move it forward until it does. Autopilot's amazing on the highway, but FSD isn't quite there yet. And so I don't know. And, I, and yes, I do think Tesla is a world leader in FSD. Like I, like I see some of y'all saying, like, this is an incredibly hard problem to solve. I'm with you on that. Um, but it's just going to take some time. And I think if you're betting on Tesla at this valuation, you're betting on scaling up the EV, EV, EV business, figuring out the, uh, the, the battery technology, but the uh, the autonomy is there, and I see a bit too impatient for a long term investor. I know I'm. I feel like yeah, I'm a little impatient. But this has been um, 
always a next year promise for the past three or four years. And so you just got to be real with it. And I, and I just think financially as a sort of the conservative financial analysis part of my brain says, don't factor in major revenue from robo-taxis because this is still a while away. So, and I will say like, it's not just me, like, um, I have friends who have FSD and they're all, they all start using it the second they get it and they're all super hyped on it. And then they never use it. And then after a month of having FSD beta, they stop using it. I bet if Tesla showed the data, it, you would see the data shows very little usage after this initial excitement phase. People are not, are engaging it less and less over time because its usefulness is lower. So this is just a reality. But anyway, that's my thoughts on FSD. Um, I'm a little more bearish than most people. This, while there's some things I'm less bearish on than you or more bearish on, there's some things I'm more bullish on. The mega pack is one of them. Tesla Energy, I actually think had a breakout year this year where it resumed to growth in a meaningful way. But next year, this starts to hit on all cylinders. The, 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 the mega pack, this is a game changer. This is Tesla fixing the energy grid. It's not the solar panels or the solar roof that is their first move the needle energy product. It's this mega utility scale battery storage system, which they put in the market two years ago and has been booming with success. And now we just got this. This is a huge piece of news that happened last quarter. Tesla secretly built this other new factory to pump out more mega packs. And the first 4680 cells, I think, are already going into the mega pack. So the mega pack is set to come on board um, with, with this factory in a meaningful way next year. And the, to me, the mega pack is already driving growth in the energy business. You look at the growth of energy storage deployment over the last four years, 96% CAGR. But look at, you can barely even see the chart relative to the capacity. The capacity there is huge. Look at that capacity, 10 times higher. So, um, and, and there's, there's been this thing where it's like Tesla, Tesla's declining solar business was dwarfing the growth of the battery business. But then in this year, the battery business, to me at least, became more than 50% of energy revenue, started growing. And yeah, now we're going to get energy revenue to really take off. This has been batteries deployed per quarter. Um, it's a very lumpy thing, but as you can see, it's going the right direction. Although I'm kind of blocking the bottom of the chart, but if you could see it, you would see it's going like that. Um, here's Tesla energy. So this is the historical energy revenue. So as you can see, this is the financials backing that up. Um, those two last quarters record 806 million in revenue. This is my estimate for Tesla's energy revenue in 2021. Um, I'm looking at 2.9 billion, an acceleration of growth, almost adding a billion dollars in revenue. But I think what's going to happen that's even more exciting is 2022. We're looking at almost $5 billion in revenue from Tesla energy. This is going to be the breakout year. This is where the gross margin improves. This is where the mega pack hits its stride. This is before even solar roof takes off, we are going to start to see the battery business propel Tesla energy into profitability, into meaningful change of the utility system. Um, and this is actually going to be a big, big deal. And like you're saying, recurring revenue with AutoBidder, the AI software that optimizes the energy grid, decides when to sell, charge, that has huge potential as well layered onto Megapack. It's not just hardware, it's software services to be an automated high-frequency energy trader. And so I think it's Tesla energy while, well, you know, FSD, I'm saying, okay, it's going to take a little longer, you know, da, da, da energy. I was saying that too, but now I'm switching, switching my tune three or four years later, Elon comes through the energy business will change the world. It is going to be meaningful. It is going to be massive. And I think we start to see sort of an accelerate the, the slight acceleration of growth we saw last year starts to continue next year. And that's going to be really exciting. Tesla rev, uh, revenue. This is just Tesla's overall revenue. Like, 
I just think this is a beautiful chart to look at. For, and, and I didn't want to go projecting too much about the future because you can see the growth. I just like to, to take a pulse on what is the size of Tesla's business today? 14 billion in revenue explosive growth. I mean, 14 million in revenue is already over 50 billion a year run rate. Gross profit. This is the profitability lever of Tesla's business model. How much profit they're making per dollar in revenue uh, on a gross basis after cost of goods sold. And um, Gally, take it easy. We all hear it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to take it a little easy, but I have a ton to cover after Tesla. So this to me is under the hood. The profitability of Tesla's business is getting insanely too good to ignore. They're getting better at building cars. Their margins are going up. They're adding in more software. Um, I think this is impressive. And then you go to the profit column, earnings before interest in taxes. This is insane. Tesla, to me, pumping out $2 billion a quarter. I never would have thought possible at this scale. Um, that's $8 billion a year in earnings. And as you can see, that $8 billion a year earnings number is growing more than 100%. So you have, you know, 100 times PE growing more than 100%. That's about a one times peg ratio. So I don't know. To me, this kind of justifies Tesla's current valuation where it is. No robo-taxi revenue priced in. Um, did my audio revenue cut out? I hope not. Anyway, Tesla Semi. We're going back to the Tesla Semi. This is the, the trend here is Tesla. All these ideas that have taken a little bit longer to come to fruition, but are so... Um, insane. Like this, to me, the Tesla semi truck, and I put this as kind of a separate section because yes, it's a car. Yes, it's the same Tesla technology, but this is representing an entirely new market for Tesla. This is freight. This is moving stuff, not people. And so I think Tesla to me is attacking another multi-trillion dollar segment of our economy. You look at what Rivian announces with fleet logistics software with, you know, we're going to have this network of cars and trucks going everywhere. And that's um, kind of our value add. So Tesla is not hyping it up. They don't have eight slides in their investor deck about fleet logistics and a freight network, but they have the product. They're doing the hard work. They're not just making PowerPoints about it. They're testing this semi. They're making. They're working on building it. They're delivering it to early customers. The amount of testing that goes in to a semi truck is insane. Um, and it's just a entirely different class of vehicle. And like this, the, the Cybertruck requires the new battery cells. This requires the new battery cells as well. And it's a, it's a, it's a testament to what the electric engine or electric motor can do. Uh, the semi-truck is, in many ways, the most difficult thing to replace with an electric uh, motor because it's you need to go such a, it's such a big battery, it's such long distances, it's such a heavy cargo, it's such difficult weather, there's so much weight, you have to have so much control of the vehicle. This, to me, is a culmination of all of Tesla's technology saying, we are better than the internal combustion engine, this is the new propulsion technology of the, of the century, and we are not just replacing cars, replacing trucks and everything, and this is, and, and just as exciting as a technology feat that is, it's an equally exciting business opportunity because of how new of a market it is. This is the inside of the semi-truck. I just thought this is dope. Um, and when I talk about, you know, Tesla really changing the freight, like, look at this. You have a guy who's just monitoring his spaceship. He's not driving it. He's just operating this vehicle with his two touchscreens in this dope sort of cockpit thing. Yes, semis battery constrained. They could build this today. They don't have enough batteries. Great point. And that's why I say to earlier in the presentation that you need to figure out scaling the 4680 or nothing else matters. That's to me the biggest thing. Okay, we're getting to the end of Tesla here. This is what I said they're working on at Shanghai. This is the product that I want to get more news about. If you can figure out the 4680, then I think Tesla will get ready to talk about its $25,000 car because that is what they need to make, to pull this off. And I think my biggest sort of innovation or like, change an idea about Tesla with this $25,000 car is 
it's not a Toyota Camry competitor. It's not just a cheaper Model Y. It's a robo-taxi. It's a car built for being a robo-taxi. It may not even have a steering wheel. The seats may look different. Um, it's going to have a huge focus on entertainment in the vehicle because you won't be driving. This is going to be a different product that ushers us into the future of the industry. It's not the Model 2. It's not just a traditional car. It's not just a $25,000 Tesla. It's the robo-taxi model. This is why I think Elon doesn't want to call it the Model 2. I think he wants to call it literally the robo-taxi. And so... I don't know. This to me is the, this, if, if you, if you think Tesla's going to $10 trillion, you better have them commercializing this. They need to be delivering millions and millions of this car that they won't even admit exists yet. Um, so I don't know. I'm waiting to hear more news on that. And then we got the Tesla bot. This was perhaps the biggest change in the trajectory of Tesla's future that we have ever had since the inception of the company. That's right. I'm going to say it again. This is the biggest pivot we've had. This is the biggest change in potential trajectory we've had in Tesla's history all time as a company. We went from solving climate change and building a car truck business and an energy fixing the grid business with solar to now becoming a robot business too. This is it's, it's, uh, this potentially doubles, triples, quadruples, 10 X's the addressable market for Tesla in the long term because it makes us not just go to energy and transportation, but the full economy, labor, the biggest component of the economy. Um, I literally think there could be hundreds of millions of these robots walking around, maybe billions of them walking around before I die. And they will be doing a lot of the tasks that we take for granted that humans do today. And Tesla, um, I didn't put a slide of this, but they're, they're what goes on underneath, the amount of technology that Tesla's developed to let, to let its vehicles navigate the world is going to allow these robots to do it. And I think this isn't going to be meaningful till 2029, till 2030. But when it is meaningful, it will be incredibly meaningful, not just for Tesla, but for the world. This is the product that makes Tesla the world's biggest company without a, a doubt in my mind. It's if they could do the Tesla bot, they will be so much bigger than Apple. Um, this is going to change everything. We are going to go from, we're going to be living in a black mirror episode. Like this is going to be so crazy. I'm doing laundry. I'm cooking. I'm cleaning my house. I'm spending 40 to 50% of my waking hours doing mindless tasks that are repetitive, that are boring, that I don't want to do, that I have a massive budget to outsource. The product just doesn't exist. The amount of increasing productivity, the simulation, the amount of more creativity and freedom we will all have when this product comes out is hard to quantify. To me, this might change humanity more than Tesla. Sure. Okay. We're still getting around in cars. They're just electric now. That's great. We're solving climate change, but thinking about the way humans live, the way we spend our time, the amount of moving the needle on how I spend my time, this is going to be way bigger than anything else Tesla's doing. And so when you think about a revenue opportunity, I mean, you're going to sell these for a couple hundred G's a pop. You're going to sell millions. I mean, this is billions, billions, billions. This is trillions. And I can't even, there's not, there's no point in modeling this. If Tesla can make this work and they want to do a, a prototype this year, it's going to change everything. And I actually think Elon hasn't even had time to think through the consequences of this. He wants to make AI benevolent. He wants to make it good. So he says, I'm going to commercialize AI. I'm going to be the one to bring this to market. But I'm also concerned because I think nobody would have brought this to market if it wasn't Tesla and Elon. And so um, this to me makes Tesla different. And I think, you know, as much as I used to say Tesla was like a torpedo at the fossil fuel industry, right? Like you buy a Tesla product, you're funding so much innovation, so much technology. This is agreed a million percent, but now you're not just funding green technology purely. You're also funding the robot revolution. So that is actually important. That's a big change. Um, this is this is Tesla's master plan part trois, part three, that they never even wrote a blog post about. They just dropped the bomb on us. So 
I don't know. I just, I can't like let this go with like, I've been following Tesla for over 10 years of my life. I've been, a, I was a Tesla shareholder in 2012. It's going to be 2022. That's 10 years. That's insane. Right? Like I was 18. And so, and ever since then, Tesla's been the green company. And so to fast forward a decade, I would have never predicted this. I would have never seen this coming. This is also, not only is it an incredible product, but it's an example for why Elon Musk is the greatest inventor of all time. This is a lesson for investing for capitalism. You want to invest with a CEO who's inventing new shit, who's going to keep coming out with the next great thing, who's not going to, who's not going to stop. We literally have the greatest inventor of all time, keep coming out with new things that nobody on Wall Street has in their spreadsheet, that none of us have on, on our spreadsheet, that we can't even fathom the earnings potential of. So it's almost like, the, I don't know, to me, this is the alpha of Tesla and the alpha of any company is what will its leader invent that nobody expects. And that's what the Tesla bot represented. And it was such a big way that only Elon Musk could come up with. Um, it may not matter now. It may not matter for five more years, but in 10 years, this is going to matter. And the fact that Tesla decided today that this is going to matter in 10 years is changing the trajectory of the future in a huge way. So now we're moving on to section two. Woo! Okay, we're done with Tesla. Um, if you have any Tesla questions, I guess you could ask them now. Otherwise, we're going to go on to SpaceX. SpaceX. I love this picture. The inspiration. They took the people to space. This is an absolute, I don't know. To me, space, and look at this number here. This will remind you, right? So Tesla's worth 1.1 trillion. SpaceX is worth just 100 billion. Seems like a drop in the bucket. It's private. We can't buy stock in it. If they floated SpaceX publicly, this would be half a trillion dollar company in a second, in my opinion. Um, Neuralink. I know I haven't even gotten Neuralink yet. Okay, so. The space economy is booming. This isn't just SpaceX. 2022 is going to be the year the space economy shines. 2021 and 2020 were already record years. This is only accelerating. SpaceX is poised to do 40 commercial launches this year without Starlink. Even more than that. This chart is going to go way higher next year. So the space economy is... I think this is a very interesting thing. And, and it's like, what's the ROI of the space economy? Is it just government contracts or will there be a true private market demand and economy for space? How does this evolve? In my lifetime, I'm incredibly bullish on this. I think we're going to be going among the stars. I think Star Treks and Star Wars are previews of our future, not science fiction. And like, this is so, so epic. Like we're going to go on Mars. Elon Musk is going to be the king of Mars. Like, love it, right? Um, and Josh with the love these videos, good vibes. All right. Great vibes in the chat. I love it. So I think the space economy is insane. Right now, SpaceX sends two-thirds of all cargo to space. I think they will continue to have that kind of market share, but the amount of cargo we're going to send to space is booming. This is the rocket that SpaceX is using for all of their launches, but this is just like the 2170 battery cell. SpaceX, just like Tesla, has an insane pace of innovation. That's what sets it apart from every company. They are disrupting themselves. They've already expanded the space economy. They've already dropped the cost of launching 1050X. They've already made reusable rockets. They're already launching more stuff than ever. They already have Starlink off the ground, but that ain't shit because guess what Elon Musk is spending 60% of his time on? Guess where Elon Musk is living? In some tiny little town in the middle of nowhere in Texas. And guess what? Bam. He's scheming on this. Starship. This massive rocket, which is going to drop the cost of going to space. It is a multi-purpose rocket that can be used to take stuff to the mar to, to the moon. It can be uh, take stuff uh, to Mars. It can launch stuff into orbit. Um, it can go point-to-point -point Earth travel. The, the general purpose ability of this, the multifunctionality of Starship, makes it the holy grail of the space industry. This is uh, SpaceX's Model 3. If SpaceX can commercialize this, they will be financially viable. SpaceX is not a financially viable trillion dollar company until they get this rocket to work. Starlink won't work until this works. Mars won't work until this works. Artemis is colonizing the moon probably won't work until this works. So the 
unit economics of the space economy rely on the railroads of getting to space, getting cheaper. This is what that represents. Starship, the most exciting thing in the world. Okay, Austin, you had to run for your money, but I would actually, I'm gonna, I'm disrupting myself from earlier in the talk. This, this, what's happening in Brown, they literally have a town called Starship. I need to go to Starship. And they're building this path to Mars and they're working on this rocket 24-7. Where Elon Musk is spending his time and energy is a great way to get insight for what is the biggest problem in his empire? What is he focused on? What is the bottleneck of the expansion of the Elon Musk empire? It is Starship production and getting this to work and be commercialized. And so um, this is going to be huge. And so I think Starship... Uh, Everything that SpaceX is doing is relying on this. I think they will figure it out, but it will take a lot of time and it's not going to be easy. And w speaking of star, uh, star Starship, what does Starship enable? Not only is Starship literally the way we get to Mars, but it's the way we're going to fund Mars too because it makes this viable. This is the new Starlink dish. SpaceX's Starlink service. Um, oh my God, there's so much to cover here. Okay. This is my graph of Starlink users over time. You can see 10,000 to start the year, up to 150,000. That's a 15x increase in users this year. I would say this is the year Starlink exited beta, became a real service. This is my prediction for 2022. I think Starlink is going to end with about a million users, up about 8x from 150,000 today. Um, that'll put Starlink at about a one point something, $1.2 billion re recurring revenue business. It'll value the company at 20 to 30 billion alone. Um, my latest rumor on the Starlink IPO is that it will happen in about three years for $70 billion. SpaceX will IPO in seven years. This is the gossip I hear from the inside track of the VC industry that I'm not supposed to share with you, but I do because who cares? I want to democratize information. But that information flow changes constantly. SpaceX is still deciding. Gwen Shotwell and Elon Musk are in a meeting next week for, to decide about how the IPO goes. Nobody knows how it's going to happen. That's my current take. But the status quo and the trajectory is... We dump out and spin out Starlink in a couple of years, and then eventually IPO SpaceX when Mars is more secure. And so that's Starlink for you. Now, this might be the most interesting part of the entire presentation. X.com. Um, ooh, this is going to be good. What happens here? Because Elon Musk just replied to one of Hey Dave's tweets, uh, Dave Lee's tweets about combining Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, and the Boring Company into one holding company called X.com with the with the mission to expand the light of human consciousness, to advance human technology, to and to essentially combine Elon Musk's empire. You know, Elon Musk is trying to solve all these things, trying to incentivize people, trying to commercialize new technology. But the corporate structure of that is just, you know, it happens to be Tesla's public, SpaceX is private, Neuralink and, and Boring are private, and they're all separate. That's just the structure he has now, but he's constantly trying to optimize that into something better. And so I think that this is something Elon Musk is thinking more and more about. This is why the SpaceX IPO isn't sure, because I think there's a 50-50 chance Starlink and SpaceX IPO, but there's also a 50-50 chance that it, they never IPO and they merge into X.com. And if they merge into X.com, this is what I think uh, Gwen Shotwell and Elon Musk are thinking right now is what is the valuation? Because if we're going to merge Tesla and SpaceX, they have to do it at a price. They have to decide how much of X.com is going to Tesla shareholders, how much is going to SpaceX, how much is going to Neuralink, how much is going to Boring Company. And the problem is those valuations are changing. SpaceX, like I just said, is at 100 billion. Tesla's at a trillion because SpaceX is artificially depressed at the private market price. If you're going to do a merger of X.com, you need to float the equity of SpaceX to get the true fair value price before merging it with Tesla. We even have an extra layer of incentives to do on that because um, 
Uh, Elon Musk owns a huge amount of SpaceX. He owns more than 50% of the voting control of SpaceX, but not Tesla. So SpaceX has this far goal of colonizing Mars that we don't want to jeopardize by sacrificing control to short-term interests who are not Elon Musk. So if we're going to do X.com, the only reason why I would never do X.com if I was Elon is because I would be giving up absolute control over SpaceX's future. He doesn't have control over Tesla. He does because he has the hearts and minds of all the shareholders, but he only has 20, 30% of the company. If we Elon picks us off. We can vote him out. There's nothing he can do. SpaceX is not like that. SpaceX is structured with two types of voting class, just like Facebook and Snapchat, where Elon Musk is a dictator, where he actually has current voting control of the entire... He owns like 50%, but he has like 70% voting control. So he doesn't want to give that up. So this is, to me, the, the, the needle that Elon Musk is thinking about and walking right now. How do we IPO space... If we're going to do this X.com shit, how do we figure out to deflate Tesla, inflate SpaceX, keep my voting control so I can run this like a dictatorship. I think the shareholders would be totally down with Elon running it. I personally was pissed off when they took Elon out as chairman. I want Elon to be chairman. I want him to be CEO. I want him running the ship and not dealing with anybody to stop him. That's why I'm investing because I like him. I'm investing in him as the CEO and leader. This whole board of directors telling the CEO and founder what to do is to me, uh, uh, the pendulum has swung too far on this bureaucratic corporate governance scale. That's some bullshit. I don't like it. I want founder, owner, operator, dictator. That's the incentive structure to me that builds value for a private company and creates progress. And so how do you keep that structure with an X.com entity? I don't know. I don't have the, the legal legalese to figure that out, but that is what I would be working on. And I would say, let's sign something. Let's propose a merger where we give up our votes of Tesla in this merger, but we own SpaceX, we own X.com, and we give up all of our voting control to Elon. Let's put that to a vote. It passes. Elon becomes king of X.com. It immediately becomes the largest company in the world. Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, boring. It has a $3.5 trillion market cap, bigger than Apple. It's uh, equivalent to 8% of US GDP. It inspires us all. Um, and then this is what's, it's even more efficient from a tax perspective. Uh, Tesla's pumping out $2 billion a quarter in profit. SpaceX just raised $2 billion for the entire year. Tesla's profit could be funding SpaceX's Mars development and more. That's got to be bugging Elon. You're telling me I'm making $2 billion a quarter in profit for Tesla. I got to pay taxes on that. I can't partner with SpaceX because some legal bullshit. Even though SpaceX is burning $500 million a year, Tesla's got that $500 million in a month. Why isn't Tesla giving that money to Starlink, to Starship? So I think this is super interesting. And I think eventually um, they're going to merge. I think, I actually think there's a greater chance that Star, Starlink, SpaceX, and Tesla merge than Starlink ever IPOs. I literally think there's a better chance of X.com than a Starlink IPO right now, but that could change any second. They're both in the, in the air. So, you know, I'm a finance nerd. When I think about Elon's empire and how it expands, to me, this is what I just am so curious about and constantly wrestling with. SpaceX's current situation is a mess. You, it's impossible to buy SpaceX stock. Everybody wants it. Um, the people buying it are the people who shouldn't buy it. There's a massive secondary market, which has layers of bureaucracy, layers of lawyers, layers of LLCs. If you've tried to buy SpaceX, you know what I'm talking about. It's a mess who's on the SpaceX cap table and how it works right now. I don't think this can run in perpetuity. I think they need there needs to be a big switch up with the corporate structure and corporate governance of SpaceX, Tesla, and Starlink. And is it going to be a Starlink spin out? Is it going to be a SpaceX IPO? Is it going to be the merger? Like, so interesting how this all turns out. I literally think it's being schemed on in this moment. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the comments to come up with some better ideas. Bitcoin, okay. 
We're moving on from the Elon Musk empire to the crypto, uh, the crypto de decentralized pieces of code running on servers around the world that are eating away at the financial system that has been around for hundreds of years. I mean, this is exciting, yo. This is, if you are, if you are a finance nerd, if you love economics, you like, Man, we're in the golden era right now because this is what started as the most radical experiment in finance, letting out this decentralized cryptocurrency. Now it's worth a trillion dollars. It's 50,000 a Bitcoin. It's uh, 100 million people own this. El Salvador just decided to adopt it as a national legal tender. Tesla's putting a billion of it on its balance sheet. Um, you know, Bitcoin's taking off. I think, okay, let's just KPI Bitcoin. How much money moved on this Bitcoin network? Bitcoin at a trillion dollars, about four to five percent of U.S. GDP. It's on pace to settle a 45, 45 trillion U.S. dollars in 2021. Wow, more than twice as much as all years combined. So, Bitcoin's network. This is not just a test anymore. Literally moving 45 trillion dollars um, in 2021. I mean, this this to me is the KPI. It's like okay, when with crypto networks, we have to think about new ways to value them. They're not stocks. They're not companies, they're not startups, they're crypto networks, but they have value. There's just different ways to value them. How many people are using them? How much value are those people getting? What's the economic, you know, clout that's moving on this network? Well, 45 trillion worth of USD in one year on the Bitcoin network. This is big time. This is huge. Um, and I, I just think this can't be ignored and Bitcoin traction is growing. Right now, Bitcoin is still at one eighth of gold. Gold didn't move 45 trillion last year. Gold is stagnant. It's being disrupted. You can't wear Bitcoin, but other than that, it's better than gold in every other single way. And it still has an 8x increase just to get to gold. But just like Facebook's bigger than MySpace, just like Tesla's bigger than Toyota, just like Apple's bigger than IBM, I think Bitcoin will be bigger than gold. The disruptor is always bigger than the incumbent once it completes its sort of manifestation of the disruption, right? And so I think Bitcoin in the long run disrupts gold, does not have to be a settlement layer for the entire world currency, just disrupts gold, is an inflation hedge in the new digital economy. We are looking at a $16 trillion asset because it's double gold because it's twice as good. That means you have 16x upside in real USD terms for Bitcoin. Okay. Ethereum. This is the world's number two cryptocurrency. This is the asset that I've increased my allocation to the most in 2021. Um, it's the thing I'm most excited about. I think it's had an insanely breakout year. Look at the performance. It was up uh, It was up seven, four, four times in USD terms. It was up tripled in Bitcoin terms. That's right. Ethereum tripled relative to Bitcoin in 2021. Um, it 3x outperformed Bitcoin or 300%. So, I mean, th that's insane. So, it went up 3x in Bitcoin terms. Bitcoin went up, but ETH went up in Bitcoin 3x. So, and I'm not a maximalist. I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. I'm not an ETH maximalist. I'm not a Doge maximalist. I am a crypto maximalist. I just believe cryptocurrency is coming. It's still, we still have to see who's going to win. Who knows who's going to win? Could be Bitcoin, could be ETH, could be Bitcoin Cash, could be ETH Classic, could be Dogecoin, could be Shiba Inu. I don't know. I'm analyzing all the chains at once. I'm letting the market tell me which is the best chain by analyzing the data. 45 trillion move. That's savage. ETH is going up. It's worth 450 billion. I mean, this is, the change is happening here, but you can't deny that ETH had a breakout year. The other thing you can't deny, and this is just the high level theory before you hate on me. I think it's possible Bitcoin could be ETH and always be more valuable, but I do deep down, if I had to guess, I think ETH will pass Bitcoin. We will have the flippening. Just like I said, ETH tripled outperformed Bitcoin this year. If they do that again, ETH will be bigger than Bitcoin. So 
Right now, it's about half the size of Bitcoin. But in the long term, if you think about the potential of a global decentralized computer versus just digital gold, essentially the smart contract functionality, Bitcoin just lets me send money back and forth. E says, let's put some code in that contract. The blockchain will execute that code. Bitcoin is backed by trust of the network and its hash rate. Ethereum is backed by the computing power, which you possess by owning Ether, which could run on this decentralized network. To me, trust is a big asset, especially if it's global decentralized in Bitcoin, but it might be a weaker asset than computing power. So I think comp being it, it's like, like the dollar used to be backed by gold. But now Ethereum is just like the dollar backed by gold, but it's the dollar backed by computing power. And that is such just a fascinating concept. There's no asset that I, I water, air, those are fine. I think computing power is more important because guess what doesn't need water or air? The Tesla bot. And that's what's our future. And guess what they need? Computing power. So to me, Ethereum is so fascinating. I heard this quote about Ethereum is the limit of human potential. Every single startup that I'm doing, that I'm talking to and investing in right now is thinking about how they can get into NFTs. Every company, everybody starting a company is thinking about NFTs. There is so much potential with NFTs. It's like, I don't know. And I know you're like, NFTs, like, okay, well, I'm going to get to NFTs in a second. But one more thing I want to talk about with Bitcoin. Bitcoin, how much, you, you say ETH is too expensive, right? How are we going to pay $100 a transaction in an NFT? That's way too much, Gally. It's unusable. Bitcoin's unusable or ETH is unusable. It's like, wait, 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 it's unusable to you if you're not paying it, but it's usable to the millions of people who are using it and paying $41 million a day. Some people paid $41 million today on ETH to run transaction. 41 million a day. Annualized, that's 15 billion. 500 billion divided by 15 billion. We're looking at a 30 times price sales ratio, price revenue multiple for Ethereum right now. Not crazy when you when you uh, say that fee number could be going up 5x a year. So if people, and look at that, what's at the bottom of that chart? Bitcoin, only a million bucks in fees in a day, 45 times more for bit, for Ethereum. So people are paying. The reason why Ethereum costs $100 a transaction on the network is that's the clearing global price for a network on ETH. That's supply and demand. It doesn't matter what you feel about that. That's what the market clearing price is at. So to me, Ethereum, just being a student of the game and letting the market tell me what's up, I'm seeing people spending 40 million bucks a day on this Ethereum network. I'm seeing they're they're rolling out layer two solutions like crazy to make it easier and cheaper to use the network, which will mean that fee number goes up. ETH is only getting easier to use. They're only building more stuff for ETH. This is only going up. This is only going up, up, up. And you talk about, to me, the most inspiring thing about Ethereum is artists. My favorite conversations about ETH and NFT are with artists because the amount of artists I've I've talked to who have, and I interviewed Joy World. He was an amazing painter. Um, the guy who actually built this product right here. Look at this. So this is a dope painting, right? Built by Adam Jonah. He's awesome. So look at this painting. Awesome painting, right? So he's selling this for like a thousand bucks, right? Two thousand bucks. These like amazing paintings. But guess what? He only makes one-on-one -on -one paintings. He has to do it like this. So he's come up with the NFT. He launches his own NFT project called the Cyber Trucker Club, which like is this super dope collection of art that he made that I bought a couple of. And it's like, it's he's making money. He's spreading his community. He's passionate about this project. He doesn't have to wait paper. It's easier to him to send around the world and create a global uh, brand. So it's like, I, I don't know. I, I just think when you talk to artists and they're like, oh my God, like I have a new way to make money from my art. I have a new way to collect with new people. Um, like Joy World, he connect, collects with every one of his, the people who collects one of his pieces. There's a community, there's a discord group. Like artists are getting paid. And this is like, I know people think Ethereum, like Gal, you're just getting greedy, making crypto money. Like how is the world getting better? The energy consumption is too high. On the energy consumption bit, 
here's something like this. Humanity's energy consumption is only going to increase in perpetuity. I'm sorry. The solution for humanity is not to diminish our energy consumption. And that's, you know, everything that uses energy is bad. Let's just shrink and die. It's like, okay, you want to be sustainable? Stop breathing and stop eating right now and die. That's you being the most sustainable you can possibly be is just dying. But is that the solution? No. I think the light of consciousness expands. And so Bitcoin and Ethereum are, are consuming more energy. Teslas consume a ton of energy. Everything that's great and new is going to consume energy. We need energy. We need to come up with clean ways to, to produce energy. So, um, and I think Bitcoin and Ethereum incentivize renewable energy by being a unique energy buyer that will just suck energy out of the internet um, and turn it into, you know, this some sort of cryptocurrency. And so, um, anyway, that's my rant on the energy consumption of Bitcoin. But on the NFTs, I think that's the biggest roadblock of it, though. It's like a, it's like a big pill to swallow. It's like we want a better financial system. We want Bitcoin. We need this new thing. But, you know, it takes a lot of energy. But that is what it is. A global financial system is important. So Ethereum has created so in NFTs. There's so many artists that are getting paid. And I think our cities are ugly. I think artists are just chronically underpaid for the value they provide to society. And that disincentivizes people to become artists. That makes it harder to spend time on art. And so when I think about the, the, the time and creativity and potential that something like the Tesla bot frees up, to me, it frees up energy into art. And that's what NFTs represent. And so I think we're kind of, in many ways, like the Italian Renaissance, like I'm Italian, I love Italy, right? And I think about the Italian Renaissance when they had all this explosion of art and creativity. And I think in many ways, we're going through a second renaissance right now. And we don't think about it. We don't see it. But look at the Board Ape Yacht Club. We are placing, look at people. We are making artists, um, celebrities, and we're able to appreciate their work in real time. And the internet's able to distribute their work in real time. And I think um, the, the amount of wealth creation that's going to artists is like never before, which is giving them more incentive and more fuel to make more art than ever before. So the internet... Um, and NFTs are creating this second renaissance of art. And I think it's something beautiful that humanity needs. And so, I don't know. That's a big part of like hyper change that I'm excited about. So anyway, top NFT sales. I got distracted, but um, this is just a little, to put a little flavor on the NFT market for you. Like look, look at some of, these, some of these numbers. This is some of the biggest NFT sales in 2021. I got this off Forbes. So I don't know. I think it's accurate, but. Okay. Ecosystems growing. So <clears throat> Solana and stuff like that. Um, I love the fact that Solana and Cardano and ETH copycats are booming. That's just a validation of Ethereum. That's people seeing the potential in Ethereum going, oh my God, Ethereum's going to work. There's going to be other Ethereums. They're going to have value too. Let's throw money at those. Like it's all a symptom of the ecosystem growing. The ETH has the network. ETH ETH has everybody using it. ETH, ETH has the clout of the smartest developers in the world. It's the runaway effect. It's the network effect. It has the ecosystem growing around it. So right until that changes, I think ETH is the leader, is the smart contract blockchain to change the world. Um, but of course, you know, that could change. But this is Coinbase's NFT product. So this to me is the most interesting thing happening in the NFT space. And this is going to be bullish for Ethereum. Coinbase saw OpenSea become the hottest business of the year. 
OpenSea, the NFT platform, which just a couple hundred thousand users hit like a $5 billion valuation, was making billions of dollars in revenue in like overnight because they were allowing, it was like a literally look like this. Coinbase is going to carbon copy it. They're going to bring it from 100,000, 200,000 people to their 73 million users. They're going to pump them into the ETH blockchain. Um, I think this is going to be a game changer for Ethereum and it's going to be a game changer for Coinbase. So that gets me to my next point, Coinbase. Look at this. Internet adoption versus crypto adoption. I mean, this, and actually crypto adoption is catching up and going faster than internet adoption. We have 200 million people around the world, just 5% of the planet on crypto. This is why Coinbase, and look at that number up there, 67 billion. This is why Coinbase to me is one of the most interesting assets. This is the last stock I bought was Coinbase. I am bullish on Coinbase. I own this stock. I think Brian Armstrong, the CEO, is savage. He's a founder. He's an owner operator. He's a thought leader. He it takes bold risks. He thinks things through. He's building for the long term. He's doing it for the right reasons. This guy is a winner. He is an elite, world-class, A-plus CEO. That matters. Um, and I think we are about to see that manifest into higher earnings with his NFT marketplace. But the point is Coinbase is worth 67 billion, ETH's 450, Coinbase is a trillion, Coinbase, uh, Bitcoin's a trillion, Coinbase is trading at five to 6% of Bitcoin, 14 to 15% of Ethereum. Coinbase is become a pipsqueak in the crypto landscape. And I think they are the on-ramp to crypto. They are a diversified bet on crypto, not just a certain coin, but all of crypto adoption. So I actually think Bitcoin as be or crypt uh, Coinbase becoming the crypto bank is an incredibly lucrative financial opportunity opportunity. This could be a trillion dollar company in the making. It's only worth 67 billion today. And it's the on-ramp to all of crypto. And they are making billions of dollars just being an on-ramp to crypto when just 5% of the world has crypto. What happens when 50% of the world has crypto? If they're still the on-ramp, this is a huge business and they're going to have more services than just being the on-ramp. Look at this trading volume. Bitcoin going down, ETH going up, other coins going up. Coinbase is diversifying from a way to buy Bitcoin to a way to buy crypto. This isn't just Coinbase. This is a signal for what's happening in crypto. This is the most bearish chart of Bitcoin that Bitcoin bulls should be worried about. This year is that the number one reason people went to Coinbase used to be to buy Bitcoin. Now it's to buy other shit. That is really interesting. So look at Coinbase, how it's a diversified play. Their assets that they have on Coinbase that you can trade going up used to be just Bitcoin, ETH, Doge. Now they've got 100 plus things you can trade, 150 plus things you can custody. That keeps increasing. This is a diversified bet on the crypto ecosystem expanding. And Coinbase has built it the leading, most trusted brand in the space. So there'll be other copycat businesses. There'll be other great businesses in crypto. There'll be other great exchanges. But I think Coinbase has become the blue chip leader. And um, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that's crazy. I read some comment about me having several severed heads on the floor, which is why I never show it. It's like that threw me off. Damn, chill, chill. Okay. Coinbase's financials. Um, I Okay, so... To, and I want to, I like to be fair, Tesla's business model, SpaceX, uh, I under, you know, I, the other companies I talk about, like Airbnb, like I understand how the cash comes in and goes out. I figure out where the, and this is actually like a kind of lesson in business. If you can't figure out why it can't equate the, the income statement to the balance sheet, you can't say, oh, they made 500 million in income. Why did their cash go down hundred million? If you can't make that connect and you can't understand the flow of capital in the company you're owning, you suck. You haven't done enough homework. I'm saying I suck and I haven't done enough homework on this. Saad, thank you for the super chat. Smartest people in the world want to work on Ethereum. That is so true. That might be the most interesting insight of this whole talk right now is where are the smartest people in the world working and focusing their attention? Crypto. 
Web3. If you are graduating college as a coder, are you going to work for big tech? That's what it used to be if you be the smartest person in the world. It used to be go work on Wall Street. Then it went to be go work on big tech. Now it's go build your own shit in the crypto universe because nobody can stop you and you could make millions tomorrow. Fuck 100,000 with another 100,000 in stock options from big tech. If you're a smart coder, hit the free market and start coding on Ethereum and let your creativity flow and you can make millions tomorrow. So with the incentive system has attracted the top talent to Ethereum. That's where they're building. That's another reason I'm so bullish on Ethereum is because every startup that I talk to, like, I don't, you know, I'm on the board of Arkimoto. We funded nine startups for HyperGuap, right? And the million dollar checks. We're talking to CEOs all day. That's all I'm doing. The number one problem CEOs have right now is everybody has money. Nobody can find great talent to hire. Where is all the great talent going that every CEO complains to me about? Crypto. Every CEO says every single good engineer they wanted to hire is now working in Web 3.0. I just can't like quantify how important that is. Anyway, Coinbase, look at how profit, it's a lumpy business. Crypto goes up, they're making a ton of money. Crypto goes down, they're making less or losing money. But actually even still making money, um, which is pretty epic. But almost a billion a quarter when crypto is booming. So I don't know. I just think Coinbase has, but the, the point on the cash flow I wanted to say, Coinbase's balance sheet is complicated because a lot of the money they take in is customer deposits. It's a liability. So I don't actually know if this means they're able to generate a billion dollars a quarter in cash. I need to do more homework into that. But for my initial research, Coinbase at this level is already hyper profitable in a crypto bull market. If that continues, the cash flow profile continues. Um, but I also think there's something I don't understand because a billion a quarter is 4 billion a year at a 67 billion market cap. That's 15 times earnings. No. <clears throat> okay. This is like my hobby. Um, this is like my passion project, um, that I've been following is Rivian. Such an interesting case study. Um, I went to the unveiling, um, three or four years ago, I want to say, 2018. Um, I went to the unveiling of Rivian. I've been following this company closely. I visited the factory. I mean, this is one of the most interesting interesting case studies in the world. I love Rivian. I want them to succeed. Um, but I believe they're on the cusp of having one of, they are going to be a joke. They are going to be, the, the business world, the word Rivian could end up being a massive joke because of how big of a failure and hiccup they are about to have. Rivian is a victim of their own success. Tesla made it look easy. They are trying to come in and build an EV company. There's huge potential. But the problem is that little number in the corner there, $105 billion. That says $1.05 I love Rivian. I'm obsessed. I'm all in on the stock. $105 billion, This is going downhill so quickly. They will act. And you remember the Silicon Valley episode where the, the guy has a failed startup and he goes, wait, you're telling me I could have raised less money? You're telling me I could have raised less money? That would have saved my company. That's what I feel like Rivian is happening. They raised too much money. It's going to kill their company. How's that going to manifest this? Too much money. This isn't the Rivian factory they're building in Georgia, but I wanted to find a picture of it, but I can't even find a picture of it. This is their Rivian factory in Normal, Illinois with 200,000 a year uh, unit capacity that they should be just focused on. They should be building. It should be this factory. They purchased another factory with 7,500 employees, $5 billion, 400,000 a year production capacity that they want to build in Georgia. So... This is, this is where Rivian will fail. Before they've built a factory that sucks in right here in Illinois, they're already going to build another factory that sucks in Georgia. Now you're going to have two factories that suck. The only way you can succeed as an EV company is build your first factory that sucks and then start changing it so it sucks less and then build a brand new factory, state-of-the-art from scratch, taking all the learnings from your less sucky first factory. That's the way you succeed.
So that's going to be the problem with Ravine is they're building two factories at once. They've accentuated the tail of their cash burn from a billion a quarter with one factory to $2 billion a quarter with two factories. This will create a bloated structure. This will accentuate every error that they have in their production process. This to me is so interesting because it's how we're watching Rivian have the problem of how is having 20 billion on your balance sheet going to make you go out of business? Because it makes you think that you can spend $2 billion a quarter with no problem and the market's not going to care. Rivian is a $105 billion company that's about to be burning $2 billion a quarter. That's going to be an 8% per year cash burn to market cap uh, rate. Assuming the market cap stays inflated, what's going to happen when the market cap goes down and the burn rate goes up? You're going to be looking at a 10, 15, 20, 30% burn rate to market cap ratio. If you have to go back to the capital markets to dilute to fund a burn rate that's 20% of your market cap, you are going to be significantly crushing shareholders. What are all your new employees who just got poached from Tesla going to do their Tesla stock went up 20 X and they're like, wait, my Rivian stocks down 50%. All of a sudden I'm less motivated to be working right now. I guess I'm going to quit. So Rivian, what's going to happen? Six months, everybody's going to want to sell all your insiders, lockup expires, pressure on the stock. Same time. The headlines are saying Rivian's delayed. They're not making money. They're a scam. Um, the short sellers are going to be incentivized to spread FUD. Rivian stock's going to crumble. That's when I'm going to get bullish when they're fixing their problems. They have a G check. They fire half their company. And then I'm going to say, you know what? This looks interesting. I'm coming back. That's my greedy, um, lame theory of how I want to make money on Rivian. But the problem is I'm not going to short Rivian. I think the stock's way overvalued, but I would never short a stock. I think that's why would I want to bet on somebody to fail? I want Rivian to succeed. I want them to make as many EVs as they possibly can. But I'm also like a super annoying business nerds who like, well, your financial valuation is a little bit you know, extended and your burn rate's too high. You're trying to scale three vehicles at once. That's going to be my take. Strategically, I'm almost just like, damn, Rivian. Like, I wish you just let me in the boardroom, bro. Like, I have so many ideas. I have, I could be such a value add to Rivian and just help them scale and just not mess up and be like burnt, like raise 5 billion now. Stop the Georgia fact. Like, they're not going to do that. And so I'll think they, I think they may fail. But we got more Rivian schemes coming. One second. Okay. Oh yeah. So they're losing money, right? So this is Rivian. They have 20 billion in cash as of Q3. This is their income statement. They're burning more money. Look at how much they're burning. 1.154 billion last quarter. You give me 1.54 billion? Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Like a quarter? Burning 1 billion a quarter? I mean, and this is going to go up. They're losing money on every car they sell. Now they're building two factories at once. So 19.9 billion as of Q3, burning a billion. I mean, this to me is the most interesting number. Is it 10 quarters of cash? Is it eight quarters of cash? Is it 12 quarters of cash? When do you raise cash again? So, so interesting. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm getting a little tired. I don't even know how long we've been going, but I'm stoked. Thank you all for tuning in. This is going to be, this is getting only more and more fun. Um, so this is the rally car. This is a rendering from Rivian forums. This is not official. This is not legit at all, but... This is a $45,000 rally car. They don't even have that price. This is just what I think they're going to price it at. This is what you're, if you are buying Rivian stock today, you want this product. You are expecting this product to sell 500 to a million units a year. This product is going to be a Model Y competitor. This is going to be everywhere on the roads. That is the future that you believe that is already priced in. If you buy Rivian stock today, is this product existing and crushing it and being amazing? So if you, if you ask her, you want to piss off a Rivian employee? 
Ask them about this car. They're not supposed to talk about it. They won't talk about it. It's nowhere in their SEC filings. They let it leak three years ago. Now they're shutting up. But if you're $100 billion, guaranteed the second after the JP Morgan meeting ends, the second after they stop taking the meeting notes with their Morgan Stanley bankers to do the IPO, they go, RJ, are you going to come out with that rally car or what? Because otherwise there's no way in hell we justify this valuation. He goes, yes, of course we're doing the rally car. That's going to, this product right here is the culmination of the R1T, of the R1S, of all our technology we've been building. It's this product right here. That's what he's telling the bankers after the meeting ends. That's what nobody else is talking about. But that is the math that you are buying into if you buy Rivian today is this car being successful, selling a million units a year. That's just, that's it. That's it. Also, is Rivian doing the delivery van? Are they going to try and build a semi-truck too? Yes, they are. That's another secret. Like I got all the Rivian secrets. Oh my gosh. This is why, this is what Rivian stopped talking to me just so we can be on the same page. Rivian, like I was in with Rivian. I was homies with them. And then they stopped like, communicating with me because I think I was too harsh about the valuation um, and some of the moves they were making, which is kind of a bummer. I wish I kept that relationship good. But like, I also kind of am proud of myself because I, I, it's not like I try and burn bridges, but I just like am true to my authenticity and honesty first. And I'm true to my subscribers. And I'm true to like telling y'all the truth about what I think about companies. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell them, pub, I'm going to say publicly when I think Rivian's messing up and I'm going to tell you and Rivian at the same time. And the only company that could truly, truly accept my feedback and actually grow from it and listen to it and like still engage with me. The only company that's really crushed it at this, that's a public company is Tesla. And I have so much respect because I was a savage about Tesla, just like I am about Rivian. I give you the good, I give you the bad. And I talk shit about Tesla. I told, I said, Elon was fucking up when they kept messing their targets in 2017, 2018. Like I'm going to keep it real. Who's the company that learns? Who's the company that engages? Tesla. Rivian shies away. That's already an insight into their cor corporate culture. Galley's critical. Galley's saying what everybody's thinking, but nobody else will say. Let's shut him up. Let's not engage with him. Let's push him to the side because we don't want that dialogue to come into our situation. And to them, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because their valuation's 100 billion and they don't need me and they're crushing it and they have 20 billion in the bank and they're getting way bigger YouTube videos to make rave reviews about their products. So Rivian doesn't care, but... Um, I don't know. I'm just telling y'all, you know, that's my experience with Rivian. So, um, I don't know. I try to like keep it real with y'all, but, um, <laughs> the, the comments are cracking me up right now. Um, Zach and Jesse from now, you know about Rivian Arkimoto. Okay. So we, I'm not going to talk about Arkimoto now. I'll make a new video about them because I'm on Arkimoto's board of directors. So I'm a director of that company and I can't like shoot the shit freely about it. So, Okay. Hyper change. We're going to get to Tesla price target and we're going to get to something. We're going to keep going. This is going to get crazier. So only have three more slides and we're doing Q&A and freestyle. Okay. Inflation is accelerating. Nobody knows when this is happening or why this is happening. It's not supposed to happen. But to me, this is the awakening. That little word I put up up there, which I made up, the awakening. People are waking up to the fact that the dollar is not a good store of wealth. People are getting woke, not to social concepts, although that's a whole thing, but to financial education. People are realizing they don't want to hold the dollar. The dollars, it's, you know, when your stock's diluting and they're making more shares, when your cryptocurrency is pumping out more, more coins, you're like, oh my God, this is horrible. Why are we making more? My slice of the pie is shrinking. That's what's happening with the dollar. They're printing more. They're giving out dollars for free. And guess what's happening now? Inflation's hitting. And I think this will continue. I don't think this is transitory. I don't think this is something that, is just a blip. I think this is the new normal. I think the dollar has lost power. 
The dollar is not the global reserve currency. It's Bitcoin. It's crypto. It's equity and technology companies like Tesla and Apple and Amazon and Google. That's a better store of wealth. The trust in those assets is increasing. The trust in the dollar is decreasing. The dollar is just a means of payment. It is not a means of store of value. That is the awakening, and we are seeing it happen with inflation. This is affecting every single asset. Every We're in a startup bubble. Elon Musk says we're in a recession, right? He says that they're about to be a recession 2022, 2023. Well, here's the reason why I just deployed a bunch of capital in startups, even though the valuations are insane in every single market. Here's why I think they're actually not as insane as you think, because the valuations are insane in dollars today, assuming those dollars stagnate in value. If you assume that inflation keeps coming at six, seven, eight, nine percent a year, that if you're growing less than six or seven per eight or nine per year, you're decreasing in value. You're decreasing. So I think equity and companies that are providing value, where their value that they can charge money for, like Tesla, what's Tesla doing when their thing costs more? Raising prices because they have power. That's inflation. So I'm investing in companies whose products and services can be priced in value that is agnostic to the dollar. If you are if you're selling this hunk of metal that's a car for this amount of money and resources, like that's worth a lot of resources, whether it's Bitcoin or silver or gold or dollars, something that can get me from point A to A to B that charges off the sun that I plug into my house has value. So that's how I think about value. Um, and I think this is, this is why art collectibles are soaring in value. This is why stocks are soaring in value. There's a sucking of wealth from dollars into every other financial asset, and it makes perfect sense. I think the dollar is deteriorating, dilution's accelerating. Kathy Wood that said that, uh, is said that deflation is going to happen. So this is another theory I have about the global economy. We are deparceling, we're decoupling. Some things are inflating, real estate, things that are staying inflating, 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 electronics, TVs, computers, deflating, deflating, deflating. So certain there, it's kind of a bifurcation. And I see that in terms of products, goods and services are bifurcating in value. Some are inflating, some are deflating. So are assets. The timing, we're all, we're all, we're all twisted from 08. The, the 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 theory that we'll all have a recession at once, that every asset will crash again, just because that's what happened in 08, when we all thought nothing was correlated, but then everything became correlated. And then this financial status quo said, wait, everything's correlated. Oh my God, everything's correlated. And so now I think the pendulum will swing back in the next recession to no, not everything's correlated. Things happen in silos. Tesla's booming, GM's crumbling. Auto industry, flat. But what's happening under the hood? Deflation, inflation, and asset value. So that is a microcosm for what's happening everywhere. Um, I think some countries will improve, like El Salvador, where they're getting Bitcoin. I don't know. So, but this is why I think just because the last recession saw a correlation in all assets of risk on versus risk off doesn't mean the next recession will. And so this is my macroeconomic theory. Of course, everyone's wrong about macroeconomics. You always, you know, but um, we're in a new normal. Like, like what happened in 2020? So when 2020 started, I was like, oh my God, things are dead. Shake Shack's dead. Nobody's going to Shake Shack. It's closed in Manhattan. But guess what happens? Nobody's taking the train. Everyone's buying Teslas. And I know I keep using Tesla as an example, but to me, it was so interesting of like, Zoom is taking off, um, but restaurants are going down. Like it was a bifurcation. And I think this is going to continue. Um, so anyway, getting sidetracked. This is another thing I wanted to talk about. Um, real estate. Actually, before we get to this, real estate to me, is super duper interesting. Actually, we're gonna get to real estate in a second. First, I wanna do this TikTok thing. TikTok is bigger than Google. What 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 country is Google from? America. What country is TikTok from? China. Is this a signal of which economy has more global power? I kind of think so. So um 
I don't know. I just think the fact that Americans are spending so much of their time and attention and energy on an asset that is controlled by China, who doesn't have our best interests at heart, is potentially a nat uh, strategic national risk. Um, uh, you know, instead of anyway, I don't want to get too political. <laughs> I'm like, damn, like, but it's just it, like if I was China, I'd be stoked. I mean, this is huge news. Um, this is this makes me think about my own business as I make content on YouTube and I'm not big on TikTok. I'm like, what am I doing? TikTok's bigger. Um, this is just a big, big moment of inter the internet is the metaverse. And right now the biggest room in the metaverse, the best party in the metaverse is TikTok. And I know you can hate it. You can say what you want. I don't use TikTok. It's too, I'm too old for it, right? But the numbers don't lie. The market is telling you something. I don't think Google's going to pass TikTok next year unless we ban it. And TikTok's banned in India and it's still putting up numbers like this. So I just think, and this, I see you guys hating on TikTok in the, in the comments. It's like, yo, like just... Um, I, I love this quote that I got from business school, which was don't buy, ask why. Okay. It's trading at a 10 PE. Does that mean it's cheap or does that mean there's something going on that you don't know about? The market is smart. The market is smart as hell. And so I just think you got to respect that and look at the data and not try and put your own opinion, not say, oh, well, TikTok's a fad. It's not going to last. It's like, well, that's your opinion. The data says TikTok's bigger than Google. That's what happened. And it's only pulling away more and more by the day. And as long, until that trajectory changes, that's what's happening. TikTok is the new game in town. So I don't know. I think that's, I, this, this is a, I don't know. Um, I think TikTok is as big as it is. It's underrated in terms of a disruptive force. Last slide I have here, annual percentage change of US population. We basically shrunk this year or we were flat for the first time ever. The US is not growing. We need to grow. If humans don't grow, humanity's growth engine stops. I'm so on board with Elon Musk on this. We do not need less people. We are not overpopulated. The world is going to be crumbling. We are going to have empty cities. We're going to have empty buildings. Your real estate investment is going to go down because we're going to have too many houses and less people unless we start growing. To me, the US, okay, and I, this is actually me getting political, but I don't care. We need to focus on immigration and get more people coming to the country. That actually is what the US is. Like, we started our country and all immigrated here and built this new amazing nation where opportunity was endless, where everybody's equal. And like, it was a free market and, you know, freedom. Like, I don't know. I think that was like the most inspiring and epic thing of like humanity. Like humanity was evolving from like all these countries that are all these teams and all this tribalism to like, let's come together. Let's become the United States of America. Let's all grow. Let's have all the smartest people from all around the world come here and build their ideas and create their wealth and create their companies here and create jobs and and pay taxes just like Elon Musk is doing. And so I think if I was the US, the first thing I'd be doing is figure out how we can get more humans. We need the smartest people in the world to keep wanting to work here. I just think that's so, so important. Like if we need to incentivize as much immigration as possible from the smartest people in the world, that would be the most important thing um, that I think our country can focus on. We need to turn around this chart or the US is, down, or, or is gonna be dead. Uh, innovation will leave real estate prices will fall. We are an empire in decline and we have to reverse that. Um, this is kind of my ending thought is that America is in a state of rapid decline. And I don't know, it kind of makes me sad, but I think we can turn it around. And I think there's like bright spots of potential like Tesla and SpaceX and crypto and all this innovation. Um, but I think we can't forget what fueled all that innovation in the first place and what that theory started from, which is immigration, which is like, let's get all the smartest people in the world with ideas in one place in a free market with equal opportunity. Um, 
And I just think that's like so inspiring. And I think the U.S. has like lost a little bit of that. Like we're all in different teams. Like I'm Republican, I'm Democrat, I'm Vax, I'm anti-Vax, I'm this, I'm that. It's like, I don't know. So um, I actually think more prediction wise, like frankly, not a good prediction, but a realistic one is that that will manifest into more political turmoil. Um, the bifurcation and inflation and deflation with different assets is happening in people and ideologies as well. We're having radical ideologies move in different directions in different ways. And so this is kind of this decompartmentalization or compartmentalization of, of different worlds. And it's happening with political ideologies as well. And I think that'll come to a head and create a lot of friction in uh, uh, elections and politics all over the world um, in the next couple years. And so the Roaring Twenties is this crazy like culmination of technology, value, crypto, but also, you know, uh, social networks incentivized to piss you off. Social networks are incentivized to show you the content that's going to make you the most mad. It's going to make you the most likely to keep clicking. So that's radicalizing all of us slowly. And so we can't continue, as we continue to spend more of our attention in the metaverse, we can't continue to be radicalized by the metaverse. Otherwise, we're going to go in a bad direction. So that's something um, I didn't watch Don't Look Up, but that's something I'll consider. Okay, so we're done with the uh, the presentation now. Hour and 15 minutes. I'm back. Big screen. Let's go. Um, that was super fun. If you have any questions that you would like me to continue, that you would like me to answer, please leave them below right now. But I can give you a couple. Uh, let's talk about Tesla for the end of the year. What's my prediction with Tesla? Um, I think Tesla... FSD could present a risk of a negative headline hitting the stock significantly. Financially, though, um, everything's going to be just a home run. Every single quarter is going to be a home run. More growth, more earnings, more factories coming online. Um, I think Tesla goes up another 30 to 40%, ends the year at 1.5 or 1.6 trillion. That's just a guess, but that's what I think. Smart glasses, AR and VR. Um, I don't know. This is the biggest hype. The biggest hype is what comes after the smartphone. This is the first year I didn't buy a new iPhone. This is the first year a ton of my friends didn't buy a new iPhone. Apple's working on smart glasses. Facebook came out with the Ray-Ban smart glasses. I got the Snap Spectacles, but nobody's using them. Every tech company thinks we're living in AR with smart glasses. No consumer's wearing them. So at what point does that change? At what point do we actually start using these products? Um, I don't know. I think I don't think 2022 is the year. Um, I think we're still going to be doing the smartphone, but... Um, it's also interesting that Tesla or the Apple's worth like $3 trillion now. Like you thought a trillion dollar company was huge, but uh, my prediction is Amazon, Google, Tesla, Apple all become five to $10 trillion companies. Um, and we're just seeing the start of that. And that's part of this new inflation thing. Um, okay. Any more questions? Thank you all so much for tuning in. Also happy new year. Um, I'm trying to think of like, um, should I do startups to watch or, or what do we think? Um, Oculus is the 48, 680 yield. I don't have a good update. Um, real estate. Okay. Oh, real estate. Um, I think real estate's an incredible investment and in the OG inflation hedge. And, um, I'm very bullish on real estate. I'm actually trying to buy, um, like my personal portfolio wise, like I don't own real estate. Like I'm too broke to buy real. What am I going to buy real estate? Like, no, you know, like I'm too broke to do that. But like, I'm, I've been thinking more and more as I grow up and think about my financial portfolio. It's like, okay, I got like stocks, I got crypto, like growth stocks, crypto, but it's like, those are all on the computer. Like I want more like real stuff. Like I want like a house. Like, so I think, um, 
I don't know. It's just interesting that in my own thought process and my own life, I'm like, I actually really want real estate to diversify my like asset position. So um, I'm just not there. But I, as I get into real estate, I will definitely document it on the channel. Any more questions? Anything? Oh, Hyperguap, the state of VC. How did I not cover that? So, I mean, I feel like Hyperguap killed it. So I started a VC firm this year um, with accredited subscribers. Hopefully all of y'all, if you're a credit investor, you can go to hyperguap.com and sign up. We invested in nine companies this year, deployed $21 million, disrupting VC with a crowdsourced YouTube VC fund. Um, and I've never worked at a VC fund. We had no experience. We deployed $21 million in nine of what I think are the world's best startups. And so that was pretty epic, but like, who cares? Whatever. Like, I'm just, I'm bragging. I gotta be humble. Okay. So what did that represent though? That represented a, a huge changing of guard. Technology is democratizing access to startups and it doesn't feel like it yet. It feels like it's still just the VCs, but what's happening now is startups and founders have all the power. 2021 was to me the year where it just, it all happened. Um, founders have all the power. VC is deteriorating. We are democratizing access to these early companies, whether it's the mirror table and crypto tokens, unlocking access to a cap table, whether it's Cardo with Carta X. I think we're in the world of, of all of this happening um, and uh, startup investments being democratized and the old school VCs crumbling. There is huge disruption, huge movement in the VC space, and this is just going to continue. And I think there's a company called Party Round um, and other concepts where it's like, you, if you're a startup, you should post your funding around like a Kickstarter. Like you should just make a page and say, I want a million bucks at a hundred million valuation. Here's our pitch. Um, apply. You're going to have to apply to invest in startups. This is one of my predictions too. You can't just invest because you know somebody and you have money. You will literally need to apply like a job to invest in a company. Here's what I can do for you. Here's how many Twitter followers I have. Here's how many uh, YouTube subscribers I have. Here's what I'm going to do for you. Here's um, how many referrals I already put up with my referral code. You are going to need to pitch startup founders on your value add. There's going to be more data around that than ever if you want to get on a cap table of a startup. That is gonna, that's where the future is headed and we are moving there quickly. And that's, and I say that as someone who started a VC firm that moved 21 million last year. And I already say HyperGuap is irrelevant. The only reason we're doing deals and keep doing deals is because the system is still broken. I still get access to a company. The founder doesn't, isn't familiar with the new tools. They want to move quick. You know, it's just like, but I can feel it. Every deal I do, I'm like, the technology's there. This is, this is old. This is, we're already disrupted. We're already not the future. So, um, I don't know. And I, that makes me happy because I want everyone to invest in every company they love. I think you should, the future is actually, you are going to get stock in a company. You are going to get micro shares in a company by buying a product. I'm going to pay you stock. I'm going to, I'm going to pay you money. I'm going to pay you crypto to buy your product. So I'll give you that capital. Not only do I get the product, I will get a micro amount of equity. I actually think that could be the future. Um, and you want to know, okay, I'm going to, if you're still on the stream, I might as well tell you all some crazy shit I'm scheming, uh, for the future of HyperGuap is to actually farm out carry. This is how much the pendulum swing. I actually want to farm out carry to influencers. I want to go to someone huge. Let's just use Elon as an example. I'm going to say Elon Musk. So I'm setting up a deal for this crazy space company, right? You're going to want some exposure, but I don't want you to invest. I want you to I, we just want you so bad. We're going to give you carry on this SPV we're doing. So instead of me taking all my carry on every deal, I can farm out carry to five or 10 influencers, give them 50 to hundred basis points. And all of a sudden they are incentivized to help this blow up. Uh, you know, and that's kind of what I did. I used my time and my brand to build up a startup portfolio 
and get equity in companies without money because I didn't have any. Every influencer should be doing that. So how can you systemize a process for influencers and creators to get equities in companies without capital by providing exposure? Because this is the biggest bridge and this is the unlock. This is what I, I'm like, why did it take me so long to say this? Attention. You are the influencers. You have attention. The startups have products and services. They need attention. You are not getting paid for your attention. They are not getting paid for the value of their products and services. This is the biggest pipeline to connect. There is a trillion dollars of value in connecting the pipeline of attention from influencers and awesome founders and startups with amazing products who need that attention and deserve it. And then giving those start those uh, creators equity in blowing up those and incentivizing those and not getting you paid five or 10 Gs for some sponsored shit in your video, but getting you paid five or 10 million in your equity position in the company you helped blow up five years from now. That is where everything's going. It's the world of marketing and influencer marketing and equity and startup investing is going to collide at a million miles an hour. And so, um, yeah, anyway, influence is capital. So I love that quote there. Okay. I'm trying to think if I have any other crazy predictions. I think crypto is going to have a big year in 2022. Of course, these are all predictions. I could be wrong. You know, what am I doing? I think SpaceX has a huge year. SpaceX and Starlink end the year at like 200 billion. Neuralink makes a splash. The boring company comes out uh, with a lot of progress in real tunnels. And yeah, that's it. X.com merger, maybe the biggest news of 2022. Anyway, I love y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been an epic stream. I hope you have a great New Year's and just um, have a good night, have a good day. And I can't wait to, to um, keep this going in 2022. Thank you to the Patreons. Um, I'm seeing if there's any more questions. Oh, Elon and Dogecoin. Man. Okay. I think Dogecoin is going to be big. Not because of anything it has going now, but because of the pace of it. And this is just so... Oh, man. God, you got me skipping in. Okay. Like, a blockchain can be changed. So if you can change a blockchain, you can change the technology of a cryptocurrency, you can change the intrinsic value of that cryptocurrency, you can change its price, you can manifest a blockchain. So it's like, if if Dogecoin has Elon Musk wanting to accept it for his empire, if Elon Musk decides to put his clout into making Dogecoin better and accepting it and building the network and getting coders to work on it, it will manifest. What I'm hearing is Dogecoin has got clout behind it. This isn't just a joke. This isn't just a meme coin. This is actually real people are picking Dogecoin and going to develop technology on it. And I think the potential of Dogecoin um, is huge if the attention continues on it. And if Elon Musk says, I want to do Doge One and launch it to the moon, but you got to pay me in Dogecoin and Elon sticks to that and they make the tech better of Dogecoin, Dogecoin will go up. And so this is like really interesting to like think about when you're like, okay, Bitcoin's Bitcoin. It's not going to change your move. That's why it's got value. It's so bureaucratic and just like the thing, right? ETH is going to move, but it's going to be with Vitalik and his homies. It's like a startup. But then you got Dogecoin, which can be hijacked by Elon and his squad to make the tech better, optimize it for payments, and use it for something else and make it better. So all of a sudden, Dogecoin's ability to be easily changed with a big brand makes it an asset, makes it something extremely attractive to optimize for a certain use case. And I believe that's what's happening. So, oh man, the Starlink Tesla phone idea. I'm I'm so on one about that. Elon hates phones. He doesn't want to launch one. The number one product I want is Starlink to launch a dumb phone. It takes almost no bandwidth. All it does is calling and texting, and it's a little phone. It looks like the Motorola Razor. It doesn't have apps. It doesn't buzz. 
It's not buzzing. It's not hitting me up. It's just, I'm connected to with who I need to be connected to when I need to be connected. I'm never going to carry my iPhone. I hate my iPhone. I don't need to check Instagram. It's just deteriorating my mental state. And I think I should have the Starlink dumb phone. I think this would be add a hundred billion market cap to Starlink. I think it would help them IPO. I think it would help humanity get rid of their phone addiction. And even though it's not the most exciting tech and it's some dumb tech, it's a dumb phone. If I was Elon, I think it could be move the needle on humanity because we're, yeah. All right. Love y'all. I got to sign off. This has been so, so epic and fun. Um, I can't wait to do more live streams and just keep coming out with awesome content this year. And um, I just want to say thank y'all for tuning in and I love y'all and peace.